Oh, hey, funny seeing you here. It is funny seeing you here. Hey, what's the deal with your phone? Is it broken or something? What day is it? Oh, don't, don't fucking do this to me. Don't do this to me. <laughs> well, the only reason I do it is because, I mean, I consistently forget. So I have my own Shabbat problems, but you also consistently forget that it is Shabbat. I don't, you don't know what's going on in my brain. You I have... received the text messages after the fact. <laughs> but uh, look, I don't forget it's Shabbat. Uh-huh. Just because I'm texting you doesn't mean that I forgot that it's Shabbat. Interesting. Uh, so you've chosen to text me on a day that you definitely remembered that my phone is off. Texting isn't work. <laughs> it is for me. All right. Yeah, we're recording on Shabbat. Sorry. Sorry. Spoiler alert. How are you, Hava? Baruch Hashem. I am hot right now. I'm too hot. It's like this weird time of the year where the apartment complex, like they turn on the heat in the hallways of the apartment building. Mm -hmm. And so that radiates into our apartment and makes it really hot. But then occasionally we have a warm day like we have right now, but they don't adjust the heat very dynamically. So it's like heat is radiating into our apartment from the hallway, but it's too hot for the heat to be on. So my apartment is just hot and I don't like it. I'm sorry about your heat problems. Thank you. Thank you. My heat flashes, if you will. Our heat is great. Just pointing that out. Well, because you have those heat pumps now. I got a heat pump. I will tell you a fun thing is that my mom gave me a Amazon gift certificate for Hanukkah, as is her way. And I spent it on getting myself probably the most beautiful book I'll ever own. Really? Yeah. And I'll show it to you now. Oh, it's a little Sidor? Yeah. And it's the cover is metal. Oh, yes. I've seen stuff like that before. Yeah. You got that on Amazon? Yeah, on like a Judaica reseller thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Friend of the pod, friend of ours, Binya, has a larger one that was a family gift. And I was inspired while she was visiting to spend my Hanukkah gains on getting a beautiful one for myself. Very nice, yeah. So, you know, anytime a beautiful book comes into my life, it's enhanced <laughs> by that. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, also Binya visited... Benya came to my little apartment and we hung out for a whole day and it was wonderful. Did you have any halakhic discussions? We did actually. We debated the finer points of my halakhic paper that I'm writing for a solid five hours. And we can't discuss that on the pod because it hasn't come out yet. It hasn't come out yet. I will hint that it is, uh, I mean, this isn't really a hint, but I'll just say that it's, um, it's about Nita. So I'll just say that we debated the finer points of Nita in a specific context for like five hours and it passed as if it was five minutes and it sort of like unleashed my it like really resolved a bunch of difficulties I was having and like really helped me get to the point where I finally made like my first I finally got to the point where I have a draft that's like worth showing to other people to get feedback on, which feels like mm -hmm. such a it's been such a Herculean task just to get there, that it feels really good to have finally made it to that point. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. It was very special and magical. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, you know me. I'm all about Nita. Right. And last but not least, I've been um, watching videos about one of our potential future podcast topics. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right, 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 right. That one. Yes. And thinking 
deep thoughts about said topic. I don't know if we should, should I even be saying this right now? Should we just not tease people and just keep it a secret or? Well, let's not tease people. Let's just keep it a secret. Okay. okay. It's a secret. We just teased people by saying that we're not going to tease them. Right, exactly. Yeah, IDK, just like, you know, watching the collapse of Twitter, the whatever is happening with Kanye, watching, you know, the world go by um, and, and, and trudging onward. What do you think about the collapse of Twitter, Michael? Mm, I don't care, really, you know. <laughs> no? I think it's it's fine. It's fine, whatever. I really expected you to have a hot take on Elon, you know? Like, I feel like Elon is especially present day Elon is the kind of person you'd be like, you know what I think? I think Elon is just like a, and then you'd compare Elon to something else that makes no sense until you explain it. Like that's the kind of shit that you love to do. <laughs> well, I mean, I think present day Elon and, and prior day Elon is the same Elon is just like kind of a, he's like a dumb boy. He's just a dumb boy with a lot of money and not a lot of interesting things to say or, or do. Yeah. And- kind of insecure right. and he's just a little more in our faces now i'm always amazed when famous and wealthy people don't know how to manage their personas you right know I mean? it's like don't you have people for that i talk with sam about this a lot you know like the um, kanye west and dave Chappelle are like at one level of rich and famous mm-hmm. and jk rowling it's like you can think whatever thoughts you want but like aren't you just keep them inside. Yeah. Isn't your goal to be like Frank Sinatra or Marilyn Monroe or like Cleopatra? Like, isn't that like the level? Right. I mean, maybe some people, th- maybe people like Elon think this is their way. They think that their point of view is going to be victorious at the end of the day. <sighs> and they'll be remembered as an important iconoclast. I don't know. Just like in the last hundred years, at least, I'm thinking of American icons. No one really cares what they think. I think about uh, Beyonce and and Jay-Z as like some of the only people around now who know how to manage persona and are thinking long term about their legacy. Not that any Mm -hmm. of this is important. None of this is important. But like they seem to manage their shit a little better. And I find that interesting. I find that artistically interesting. I feel like their lives are like works of art, whereas like the messy human lives of these like billionaires and, and famous people that are like failing in public is like getting in the way of their art. I see. Like the medium of Beyonce is her life, you know? Right. Because I was, I mean, we don't know. Beyonce's probably fine. I mean, she's rich, so that's not ideal. But, um, you know, like, we don't know. Beyonce could think anything. I feel like I don't hear that much about what Beyonce thinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At all. She's just out there doing her art, and we don't hear about it. Like, the other approach that I talked with Sam about is the Snoop Dogg approach, which is just so chilled out. I feel like Snoop Dogg, Jay-Z, and Beyonce figured out how to be famous in, like, Twitter world. And Chappelle, JK, Kanye... And mm-hmm. Elon don't know what the fuck they're doing, you know? That's my yeah. take. That's my take. I believe it. <clears throat> I believe it. Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Um, I got a little puppy next to me. Oh, Would you like baby. To see this puppy? Oh, his head always looks so big to me. I know, he's got a big old head. He's very licky right now. Come on, Skeeter. Oh, little baby angel. Question for you, Hava. This has been a big part of my week. Have you ever seen the BBC late 80s, early 90s production of Chronicles of Narnia? Um, Animated or 
No, live action. Live action. With some animated bits and pieces, blue screen stuff. I don't know. I've seen like so many versions of the Chronicles of Narnia that it's hard for me to say definitively which ones they are because they all just exist in a muddle in my head. Well, you need to look up the 1988 live action BBC version of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe because I think it is the root. It is the root cause (laughs) of many a person's interest in furries, cosplay, and Renfair shit. Oh, wow. I have definitely not seen this. It is crucial that you see it. This White Witch is, like, looking great. Oh, yeah. The White Witch is great in that one. The beavers are just so... Oh, my God. The beavers are horrific. You just need to watch it. It's just I, so good. I just saw a picture of him and instinctively recoiled in fear. Go on YouTube. There's a free version. <sighs> It's it's a limited series. Someone put them all up. It's like three hours long. Just watch mm-hmm. Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. It will change you. Okay. I'll put it on my list. Other than that, I've been drinking a lot more seltzer recently. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. finally a Jew. I know. It's It's been good. I've been getting the local brand, the Polar. You know, that's the New England. Oh, yeah. That's the... Yeah. That's what I usually drink, too. We've been enjoying the Cranberry Bramble variety oh i never had that i'm all about polar ginger lime mule variety although this week schweppes was on sale my boyfriend wanted to get it so that's what we got i hear there's like some super fizzy seltzer from new york that's like really like has more psi or something like that that's like only the jews are (laughs) it just fucking explodes when you open it i remember i think i I lived in new york briefly and i went on a date with a with a jew she like gave me the inside scoop on this like new york seltzer well listeners if you know what the secret seltzer is let us know yeah yeah, today's episode is brought to you by the secret seltzer yeah whatever company makes that seltzer we 100% back every corporate message <laughs> you've ever said in the past. Everything they've ever done, every ethical decision. We support Sign you. unseen. We're just, you know, risking it like a brisket. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> digesting that. <laughs> what? Risk it like a brisket? Joke. Risk it like brisket. It pains me in my soul, which is what a pun should do, so I'm forced to accept it. I don't really know if it's a pun. It's just ridiculous. I know. It's wordplay. Anyway, let's talk about some stuff. So today we're doing a mailbag episode, which we haven't done one in a while. That's right. But we dug through our very wonderful listener mailbag and picked out a bunch of questions to combine into a singular episode. And now we're going to do it. So here's the first fucking question. Hi, Chava and Michael. I don't want to take up too much space on the cast. Hope y'all are well. Wondering if you can solve a debate with my roommates. Could a mezuzah keep a vampire away? How similar are estries and vampires? What do we know about how to protect ourselves against them? So, first off, to bring us all into the context of this, estries are a Jewish cryptid, Jewish mythological creature, very similar to a vampire. I'll just read really quick this, like, uh, sort of foundational estri description from Sefer Hasidim. So, There are women that are called estri. They were created at sunset before the first Shabbat before creation. As a result of this, they are able to change form. There was a woman who was an estri, and she was very sick, and there were two women with her at night. One was sleeping, and one was awake. 
And the sick woman stood up and loosened her hair, and she was about to fly and suck the blood of the sleeping woman. And the woman who was awake screamed and woke her friends, and they grabbed the sick estuary, and after this, she slept. And moreover, if she had been able to grab the other woman, then she, the estuary, would have lived. Since she was not able to hurt the other woman, the estuary died, because she needs to drink the blood of living flesh. The same is true of the werewolf. And since the estuary need to loosen their hair before they fly... One must adjure her to come with her hair bound so she cannot go anywhere without permission. And if an estuary is injured or seen by someone, she cannot live unless she eats of the bread and salt of the one who struck her. Then her soul will return to the way it was before. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much what an estuary is. So in summary, we have vampiric, usually ladies, mm-hmm. who the reason they exist was God was making creatures, but then he rested on Shabbat. And I right. guess took a break, you know, stopped making them in the middle of Shabbat. And I think that's why they're in this weird, like, limbo state of being vampires, apparently. Right. And they have to unbind their hair before they can fly. And there's also some other kind of rule about if they see you, then they have to eat your bread and salt or else they're bound. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. There's kind of like a succubus overlap there, like unbinding the hair, like releasing their mm-hmm. feminine, you know, power over over men. Right. And also, I feel like perhaps a subtle way to discourage people from socializing with women who don't cover their hair. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it seems like that's partial answer to the listener question is one way to protect yourself against them is to look out for people with uncovered hair, which would be quite challenging nowadays. I mean, the other implied way to protect yourself is to injure them, just punch them in the face. Right. And then don't give them bread and salt. Yeah, yeah. And they'll try to trick you. They'll transform. Like, just don't give anyone bread and salt for a certain amount of time, which is very similar to the vampire. You need to invite the vampire into your house. Right. So there's definitely overlap. The question about the mezuzah, to me, is interesting because... We know that, I don't remember the citation, I, I prepared it, but then I forgot to like write down where it's from. But the rabbis in the Talmud say that the mezuzah can keep evil away from your home. So the question is whether estries are evil or not, as to whether a mezuzah can keep them out. I think I read another quote that said estries definitely are evil. See, so my... <laughs> <laughs> my um i'm just i'm just laughing just about you like my uncle told me that estries are evil so i'm pretty sure it's true this kid at another school my cousin knows them and they said that estries are evil and then if you move the truck in pokemon that there's a mew under it i think there was a story of like an old jew uh, that sounds real bad but <laughs> <laughs> let me let me rephrase that there was a story about a, a middle-aged jew or young jew i don't know who like had an estri encounter and was about to offer like the bread and salt but then the old jew was like oh be careful it's bad to like help evil like it's evil to, it's i don't know i i don't know i'm flailing here okay my yeah. cousin told me they're evil okay okay <laughs> My g- girlfriend, who lives in Canada, told me they're evil. <laughs> um, my problem with that is it seems like in our Sefer Hasidim quote here that estries need blood to live and also had no control over becoming estries. So it seems more like they're just like the moral equivalent of a wild animal in that they are like not if a bear attacks you, you know, it's not an evil bear. Bears just do that sometimes. 
Yeah, I mean, if you buy into the origin story of uh, of that, you know, I think you could make a stronger case that like Lilith is evil. Like there was a human choice involved, and like mm-hmm. somehow making Lilith. Maybe I don't know. I'm I'm reaching here. Yeah, I mean, whether or not Lilith is evil, like she at least had a little more agency in the circumstances of her life than it seems like Estries did, at least according yeah, to yeah, Sefahasidim. Yeah. So I would say, dear listener, the jury is out on whether a mezuzah will keep an Estri out of your house. They are quite similar to vampires with some key differences. And, yep, yep. you know, watch out for people with unbound hair. Yeah, and yeah, And yeah. if someone tries to suck your blood, just punch them and see how that goes. Uh, and don't give them bread and salt. Don't give them bread and salt, yeah. And they're kind of like bears, so make sure you have a sealable metal trash can outside. <laughs> exactly. If you're cold, they're cold. Yeah, yeah. So just be safe. Okay, next question. All right. Next question for the mailbag. Hello. Why is a minion 10 people? Where did that number come from? Is there gematria going on? Very good so, question, listener. Yes. Very annoying answer, personally, I thought. <laughs> Interesting. Well, tell me about your answer, and then I'll tell you about my answer. No, 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 because my answer is going to be the same as yours, but I don't remember all the quotes. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll start with mine, then. The shortest answer is that in Masechet Brachot, we read, so from where do we learn that when there are 10 people praying that the Shekhinah is with them? From this verse, God stands in the congregation of Hashem. Elohim nitzav ba'adat el. So basically, this is a section where the Talmud is talking about, it's like going on this whole string of things of like, how do we know that the Shekhinah is present when there's two people? How do we know when there's three people? And bringing all these different Torah verse proofs. The proof they bring here is this verse that Hashem stands in the congregation of Hashem. The reason that they bring this proof using the word congregation is because of the story of the 12 spies. So if you remember when Moses and and the Jews had been wandering in the desert for a long ass time, and then they were getting ready to come to the promised land. Moses sent out 12 spies to go see what was up. And they saw that basically the land was inhabited by, if you take the text literally, literal giants. They might be giants. <laughs> <laughs> and um, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and they were like, it'll be fine. Hashem will hook us up. And 10 of the spies were like, we should not fight an army of literal giants. After the spies came back, God found their lack of faith disturbing and said in Bamidbar 1427, How long will this wicked congregation continue to mutter against me? So the word here congregation, la'ida, is the same word that the rabbis are bringing from this verse, God stands in the congregation of God. So they're doing this uh, rabbinic reasoning tool called a gazero shava, which is basically like, basically means a doubled utterance. So they say, oh, this word here means 10 people, right? Because it's the 10 spies who didn't want 
the Israelites to invade. And then the rabbis say, okay, that word there means 10 people. That means it means 10 people in other places where it's used. And so that's why they say the Shekhinah is present when 10 people pray because of this verse about Hashem standing in the congregation, a.k.a. the 10 people of Hashem. So God refers to 10 people as a congregation. So then when you need a congregation, you need, we have a minimum of 10 people required just to be on the safe side. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. That's the basic answer. Is there gematry going on? Maybe. I mean, 10 has all kinds of implications. 10 is is often in numerology seen as like a number of completeness in the same way that seven often is used in biblical text to mean like a bunch of things. I think there's like something inherently appealing about the number 10 to the human psyche that the rabbis are tapping into here. Yeah. But in my sort of short version dig into the answer of this question, there was not any immediate like, I guess it's because 10 means blessing and da blah, 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 blah. No, it was just like this little biblical proof that they brought from Brachot. Yeah, there's like a similar proof that happens in Megillah in the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud that all comes back to this verse about the 10 spies where they're just connecting words between different verses and deducing from that that you need a minimum of 10 people to have your minion, to have your congregation. So, now we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I take it back. It's not annoying. <laughs> Great. Next question. I've been wondering a lot about Isaac and bondage slash submission lately. And I was wondering if y'all had any other discussions of submitting to Hashem or binding oneself to Hashem. Obviously, to fill in, but I'm sure you have cool things to say about to fill in that I have not thought of. So, bi- you want to talk about bondage and God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, personally. No, Michael is a stinker and a party pooper. I don't know what it is about bondage and God that just doesn't do it for me, but (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, you're just a vanilla Jew. You prefer your God just plain. I'm a totally a a vanilla Jew. Now I really want an egg cream with like a scoop of vanilla (laughs) ice cream. And like a celery soda. Oh, I would love a celery soda. What is an egg cream anyway? Does it actually have ice cream in it? Double check these things before I say them live on air. Schnoof. Oh, no. Oh, it's a substitute for an ice cream float. Ugh. Never mind. Continue, Hava. So, I don't have anything too wild to say. I've known several people in my life to give workshops on tefillin and bondage and Hashem. But I included this question because I thought it would be fun to talk about God as various roles in the BDSM scene. (laughs) Just examples of times when God was different roles. One thing I just want to say is that I feel like right from the start of the Torah that God is a brat. Yeah, definitely. Like, literally, Genesis, God is like, don't do it. Don't. You better not, like, get the fruit from that tree. Mm-hmm. And then they do, and God is like, oh, no, you did it. Now I'm going to have to kick you out. I didn't want to do that at all. Yeah, God can be a brat. God can be also, like, an argumentative wife or husband who you negotiate mm-hmm. with and convince to, like, you know, not wipe out an entire city right unless there's a certain number of like righteous folks in it i do feel like god has some very specific sensory kinks god is like i can't get off unless i smell burning meat <laughs> yeah, that's you know unless i unless there's like animal blood being splashed around like it's not doing it for me yeah it's real 
fucked up shit. <laughs> so the thing is, I think part of what, Michael, maybe you struggle with in approaching God in this way is I feel like approaching God as the Dom in the equation is sort of already matching the most popular way for religions to think about God, which is essentially as like a hard top who makes the rules and we all like submit to that. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, back to our different metaphors of God, more generally thinking of God as a person, you know, metaphorically in that way. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. do it for me right now. Yeah. But I do love covenants. Right. True. I do love social contracts that people make with each other. I'm into marriage, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm into all those sorts of things because they go against what your unconscious or conscious in the moment desires might be, you know? Yeah. Like, I think the reason we celebrate marriage, which is a type of bonding, is because it's difficult. Like, it wouldn't be worth celebrating the commitment two people make to each other if it wasn't, like, hard, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason labels like father and mother, which are types of bondage that they have when they have children, you know, you're bound to take care of someone, the reason they carry or could carry a lot of um, weight of respectability is because they're hard. Like, there's countless moments when a father or mother has to do stuff that they wouldn't want to do, or a husband or a wife would have to do stuff that they wouldn't really want to do but they're doing it for something bigger than just what their id wants. So I do like that aspect of bondage. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I think um, social contracts, form of bondage, we should be engaging in them more often. What do you think, Hava? Yeah, I mean, I've told you before that one of the reasons marriage is important to me is because I feel like if I have to accept that human beings can't make meaningful promises to each other, then, like, I don't get what we're all doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Meaningful binding agreements feel like the foundation of any reasonable form of community to me, and marriage feels like one of the ultimate testing grounds for that. Like, are we actually capable of keeping our promises to each other? Which feels very, you know... Something I haven't thought about before in this context, right? Getting back to like sexual dynamics between the people of Israel and God is frequently in the Torah after the Jews go worship idols, they're compared to an unfaithful spouse. But now I'm thinking about all the times where like bad things happen to good people. And especially early Torah, God is sort of founded on the like, if you do good, good things will happen period like that is the moral system and just thinking about all the times that like god is not fulfilling that end of the bargain and how it's quite unfair that we read the torah where it's like god basically being the the shitty boyfriend being like oh my ex was so crazy like the nation of israel was just like always cheating on me i can't i don't know why she did that it makes me wonder if torah was compiled during a time when israelites weren't in power you know would they have mm-hmm. a, would, would it have been a little bit more a little bit more flexible in that regard a little bit more flexy yeah yeah you know assuming if you subscribe to the more historical ideas of of when these things were compiled mm-hmm. and i think this is one of the reasons that many people so instinctively rebel against the god as hard top model of god is because oftentimes it feels like religions in which God tells you what to do and 
that's it. <laughs> the end. You follow it or bad things will happen to you. Oftentimes tend to be the religions of those in power and oftentimes feel like they are invested in perpetuating secular power schemes with that same modality of like the government tells you what to do and you do it and you don't get to have an opinion about whether it's just or not because it's the law. In that version, both of religion and of secular politic, like both don't work. And I think that's what makes the God, God is hard taught model like chafe so innately to me. But, you know, (sighs) but when I think about binding to people, to other people or to like society, that doesn't freak me out. Right. And I think the positive model is, for me, the model of binding myself to God that works for me is similar to bondage in that it's like a choice to enter into a moment of control. Yeah. You know. Or a lifetime of... uh, Or a lifetime. Yeah. You know, or a 24-7 DS hardcore relationship Which is what marriage is. Right. And what having children is. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Your child is the controller of all. Can I take that back that, no... Having children is not the same as a 24-7 DS relationship. Do not (laughs) quote me on that. (laughs) You heard everyone. Quote him on that. Metaphorically, in a very narrow sense. I'm going to counter edit the episode to remove the don't. (laughs) Little do you know that when you send me episodes, I go back through and change everything (laughs) to make you sound uh, like a buffoon. I'm surprised we haven't. Oh, never mind. I was going to say I'm surprised we're going to we haven't been canceled yet. But <laughs> oh, our time will come. I'm sure. Well, you know, Twitter is gone. So what are they going right. to cancel us on? Right. Where will they even cancel you? I don't even know. Okay, should we go into the next question? Yeah. Okay. The next question was from a dear listener asking us if we had anything to say about Musar studies. Yes. And just like, what's up with that? What's up with Musar? What's what do we think about Musar? it? Yeah. Do you have anything to say about this? You want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah, I'll try to kick it off. Musar is dealing with similar problems to what the Hasidic movement was trying to deal with, but like 100 years in the future, and specifically with Lithuanian Jews. And that problem is how to deal with like enlightenment, modernity, secular, just society changing. So we talked about that with Sam a while back for Hasidic Judaism and that happened in like the late 1700s. Musar studies, or the Musar movement, Musar studies existed before the movement, but the movement that's come to be associated with Musar studies came about in the mid-1800s. And it's also associated with like Jewish society changing in Eastern Europe, Lithuania in that time period. So that's the context for why it came about. And what it is, is... Uh, do you want to talk about what it is, Hava? Yeah, so a lot of it is just different pieces of work from that period addressing how Jews should behave ethically, especially in secular matters. Like, how should a Jew do business? Musar literally means something like teaching or correction, possibly tradition is another way to read that word. It's literally sort of like a, an attempt to develop a coherent ethical system out of Judaism. And not like necessarily a law system, which we already have, but a system that sort of orients itself around midot, which are virtues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to start by bringing a big chunk of midot to give an idea. 
So this is from uh, Rambam's Mishnah Torah. He's talking about human dispositions here. The straight path is the mean disposition found in each and every tendency of all the human tendencies. Such tendency is removed from both extremes at an equal distance and is not nearer to one than the other. Therefore, the wise men of old commanded that man should ever review his path and estimate his ways and direct them towards the middle way so that he will be sound in body. How should one do it? He should not be an excitable person, easily angered, nor like the dead without feelings, but adopt a middle course, not to become indignant, save only at something big, which is worthy to be angry about, so that the like should be not done another time. Likewise, shall he not crave for anything except for what his body requires and without which it is impossible to exist? Likewise, he should not continue to fatigue himself in his affairs, save to get what is necessary for him to live on for the time being. He should not be too close-fisted, nor should he squander his money, but give tzedakah with the means at hand, and lend according to the needy. He should not be too optimistic and playful, nor too pessimistic and mournful, but spend all of his days in good cheer and with a pleasant countenance. So should he measure all the rest of his tendencies, and this path is the path of wise men. Every man whose tendencies are the mean tendencies of the middle course is called wise. Yeah, so like, none of that had to do with mitzvahs, really, or praising God, or your relationship with the divine, like the way I don't know, you might think of like Hasidic rabbis, you know, focusing on like, oh, you need to kind of go that route and right. feel the fervor of, you know, of the Shekhinah like pulsating through your body or whatever. It's more about how to conduct yourself in the world. The founder of the movement or like the attributed founder of the modern movement in the, that started in the 1800s is this rabbi Israel Ben Zev Wolf Lipkin. And he talked a lot about the unconscious and the conscious, like in psychological terms and like how to change your negative unconscious desires and and work on them so that you conduct yourself better in the world. So there's like a kind of mm-hmm. like a almost like a CBT, like early therapy approach. Right. It's almost like behavioralist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's behavioralist. I can almost understand where it's coming from. It's like you're trying to react to the more... I guess, secular, globalizing world around you, you're not so insular, mm-hmm. and so you need to make Judaism feel more relevant. It's just interesting that, you know, there's different approaches that came around to that. One is like this movement, which is focus on your virtues, focus on yourself, and create communities around focusing on your virtues, almost like it's similar to... I don't want to say it, but I will. Like, it's similar to, like, the most generous reading of what people like um, Peter, I almost said Peter Gabriel, but Peter, (laughs) who am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Who's the bad guy? He's bad. It's... Who's the bad guy who's bad? Oh, the Canadian professor guy who's like... Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson, yeah. Okay, so Jordan Peterson is a big old schmuck, right? Yeah. A literal piece of shit. But, you know, society's kind of fallen apart in lots of ways. Blah, blah, blah. Shit sucks. So, like, one reaction to that is, like, okay, well, work on yourself and, like, make yourself better. And Jordan Peterson is, like, one version of that. You know, that kind of blows in a lot of ways. Right. Theoretically, his bullshit men's rights shit is his attempt to tell people this is how you should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, I'm trying to think of, you know, there's probably better examples, but I'm just trying to think of pop more, you know, generally known examples of people that are doing this that are good, that are kind of focused mm-hmm. on virtues. And it's, 
And maybe one of the problems is we don't really have that. So there you go. Maybe that's a void you can fill listeners. But the other side is like the hippie approach, which is like the world is falling apart. So let's do the age of Aquarius thing and join cults of personality and try to connect with the divine. If we want to think about something similar, but I think not as good on the hippie dippy end of the spectrum, there are so many different sort of self-help style books that have come out the one that i'm thinking of is the four agreements uh which was really popular in like 2012 i think where it just has like four different virtues for life like don't take things personally for instance be impeccable with your word those are two of the four agreements that are just like if you just do these four four simple virtues then you'll be a good person essentially and you'll be happier and healthier and sometimes musar is like that in a way that i really don't like and sometimes musar is like a much more complicated and introspective approach to what makes an ethical being as far as resources i will say there's a great organization out there called queer musar their website is literally just queermusar.org musar is m-u-s-s-a-r and they're great and if you're looking for if you're trying to like figure out what's up with Musar, that's that's the place that I would recommend to start. Yeah, I think that was good. Like self-help books. I think that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say hippy-dippy self-help books, because when I think hippy-dippy approaches to like these modern existential problems, I think Hasidic Judaism is like the hippy-dippy approach and like the Musar right. is like the self-help approach. But yeah, it's it's neat humans, you know, we kind of do similar things and they vary slightly in different contexts. It's true. I've noticed that. Okay, those are all the questions, but we have one listener comment that's cool. Dear listener, Time Traveling Inby sent us this thing that says, Your podcast made me curious to watch Russian Doll and I got hooked on the show. I'm taking a community ed class about queer Jewish TV and movies where I did a presentation about what's queer and Jewish in the Russian Doll episode Station to Station, Season 2, Episode 4. I thought you might get a kick out of scrolling through the slideshow that your approach to the show inspired. So here's a link in case you'd enjoy that. Thank you for creating such a fabulous pod that sparks thoughts every week. So this is not a question, but we just wanted to say that we saw it and we thought it was really cool. Thanks for creating it and that this makes us feel very special. Yeah, it was it was pretty neat. I looked at it briefly. I haven't watched that episode yet. I think we're probably going to do it next week or the week after. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember if we're on three or two. I think we're just on, we still have to cover two, three, but when we cover two, four, we'll probably reference your slideshow. Yep, 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 yep. It'll be cool. Hell yeah. So yeah, that's not a question, but we just wanted to say thanks for sending us that. We appreciated it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that's the mailbag episode, people. Next week, I think we're going to do another Russian Doll episode. Thank you all for sending us all these questions. If you have a question that you sent us that's not answered, we continue to work on full-length question episodes, so just trust that your question is a, a thought in the mind of Pod, and that we will get to it one day, God willing. Yeah, we will get to it, God willing. Um... <laughs> but like you know we, we try our best we do our best we're just stumbling through we're just two babes in the woods yeah we should get into some musar studies and they'll be like when you respond to all your listeners questions that's like when you really are like a good jew that's when you're really ethical you're really fucking ethical that's what maimonides said is when a podcast responds to all its listeners questions then it's considered wise mm, yeah thank you all for joining us on this grab bag of an episode we will do our best to continue to make fun stuff for you to listen to. 
we're cooking up some really juicy ideas for future content. Very juicy. Some really big arcs to bring to the show. Huge um, arcs. Huge. So just like get excited in your in your hearts and minds because we are we're always doing our best to bring cool stuff. Without further ado, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. <laughs>